growing up as a fatherless child had a major impact on my life. And, and I knew who my father was and I had a very limited relationship with him, but it led me down a, a very dark path. Greetings, greetings, and welcome to the Redefining Grief Podcast with yours truly, Herdeen Mercier. I am super stoked and excited to bring no other than Jay Cameron to the podcast. Welcome. Well, thank you. and so glad to be here and I'm looking forward to sharing with everyone today. I know. You know why I, I, I wanted you on? Because I know you're going to keep it 100. <laughs> That's the only way I know how to do it. So I know. Uh, and, and it's truly the only way to live. But people have a hard time with that because I think people are still in that mindset of wanting to be accepted by all. I have come to a place in my life where I figured if you don't like me in my truth, you might as well not like me. Exactly. And and I say the same thing as I, I was telling someone recently. I said, I'm I'm at an age now where... I'm not trying to impress anyone. I'm not trying to, it's, you get to a point where mm -hmm. it's draining yes. <laughs> and you're, and you find yourself losing yourself trying to become something to uh, appease what someone else wants. And mm -hmm. if you do that too many times, you find yourself, uh, you can really become unhappy like that. So yeah, 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 I get it. And so since I only got this one life and I'm dedicated to living it fully, I am nothing. And I, honored the truth in what it means. And Absolutely. so, Mr. Cameron, what is your truth? Well, there are many layers to that, but since we're, since we're talking about the topic of fatherlessness and, and not having a father, I wanted to make sure that this topic was not glossed over because even today I'm hearing where some are trying to call it a myth they're trying to dismiss it as not being as serious as it really is. Uh, but it's a very major topic. And uh, for many people, they don't talk about it uh, or they don't know how to process it. They don't know the effects of it. So they're, they're just kind of living life in this space. But uh, growing up as a fatherless child had a major impact on my life. And, and I knew who my father was and I had a very limited relationship with him, but it led me down a, a very dark path because my identity was tied to who my father was or the, or the lack of his presence. And so because he was absent, it led to a lot of issues with insecurity, a lot of issues with rejection, a lot of issues with a lack of assertiveness, issues with, again, as I stated before, identity. So, so there were, like I said, many layers to this. And, um, it, it caused my relationships, well, even before relationships, it caused me to have a distorted worldview. So I oftentimes mm. saw myself in a, from a victim's standpoint. And, mm. and so I, somehow I was a victim because my father wasn't there or my father, I never heard my father say, I love you. And uh, his actions indicated to me that he didn't. So you're dealing with the effects of the rejection, but then you're processing it as a child. So you're not mm. processing it as an adult who can now rationalize and say, okay, maybe he had some issues that he didn't address. Maybe he was abused. Maybe he went through some rejection issues of his own. A child doesn't think like that. Mm -mm. A child just thinks my father's not here. What did I do? There's some, somehow I'm flawed because of this and I'm the reason why he's absent. And so you take a four-year-old, a five-year-old, I'm going back through the years when I really became aware that he was absent was probably right around seven or eight. 
mm-hmm. and 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 then the promises that he would make because he knew that how he was carrying the relationship was wrong. He told me. He said, "I'm I'm, I'm going to do better. I'm I'm wrong for this." But then he would turn around and do the same behavior. So he, he would still he would make promises. He wouldn't show up. He um, I could only meet him at his office or some sort of public place. I was never welcomed in his home until I pretty much forced myself. But that was even after that, I wasn't welcome there. It was kind of like, OK, I have to acknowledge him as being my son and, and I have to welcome him uh, because he's pressing it. But going through all of that caused me to be a very uh, insecure young man and then a very insecure man. And it destroyed it destroyed all of my relationships before I got married and nearly destroyed my marriage. And, and that's what I talk about, how these issues and not really addressing these issues led to so much destruction in my life. This is so good. Like, not that you went through the experience, but that you decided to sit in the mess to get the glory out of it. Yes. And when I go back and I think about your story and I think about the interviews you've done on Malik's podcast, the whole whole brother podcast, um, I'm going back and I'm gathering, here you are a young boy who recognized that his father is present, but so absent. You understand? And I can identify that with that series in my life where I knew my father was alive. My parents are still married to this day, but he went back to Haiti for several years. And I felt like a fatherless daughter. Hmm. And there's so many of us who have parents that they can see. They are in the house possibly presently. they are around, but we still feel fatherless. But now, before I even say that, before my father moved to Haiti for those number of years, he was the guy that taught me how to cut grass, change the tire. Um, oh, wow. Um, he, was, he was a cab driver, still a cab driver all his life. He taught me how to, when a job came in, to accept the jobs for him. He was very, he taught me how to ride a bike. He told me he loved me. He's the very first man who ever said, I'm sorry. Very first oh, man wow. to ever give me flowers. So it affected me. I just don't, I don't even begin to know. It affected me deeply. That he just, I, I just, the weight of this world probably was so much for him that he went to Haiti and lived for years. He didn't come back until I was graduating from high school. Wow. Wow. So he was gone my high school year. He was gone um, most of my middle school years. But I had him in those. So I knew the dad he could be. Yes. But in my little mind, I couldn't understand or why did he leave? Where did he go? Yeah, yeah. But yet they were still married. Oh, no, that's interesting. That's interesting. mm -hmm. And they're still together now. They're in Haiti right now enjoying their lives. And but and I had this hard conversation with him where it hurt. It I was going to ask if you had the conversation with him, you know, because yeah, it, no. mm-hmm. it hurt. What did he say? 
Um, he said, I don't even think he knows how to describe it, but being a licensed clinical social worker and a therapist, I just think he checked out. Because when you think about his story, and this is where Grace comes in for me, he was the first one to migrate by boat from his family. He's the youngest child. He came to the United States and instantly he started working and providing and doing all these things. And he lost his dad young. Oh, wow. So okay. the weight of the world was probably too much. That's okay. just my, just, just looking back, that's just the only way I can describe it. To him, if you ask him, he would say, I was being a man. I had to go take care of some things for the family. I was trying to build a business in Haiti and I, I was trying to come back in Haiti and do those things. But at the end of the day, you weren't present mm. and I needed you. And for me, being able to have that conversation with him was very freeing, but I find myself to be fortunate because I'm allowed to have, since I was little, to have hard, honest, chats with my parents when they call me out in love and I call them out in love. That is rare, as you say, very mm -hmm. rare, because I know so many people who do not have that option available mm -hmm. to them. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're kind of floating along in life. It can become uh, very toxic. And so some people are dealing with fatherlessness or motherlessness with within the household where the parent is present or the parent may, um, like in your case, may may uh, disappear for a period mm -hmm. of time or, or may be so busy working that they mm -hmm. are absent. So there's, again, there's so many layers to it. But one of the things that I had to do because I was destroying every relationship, I was destroying my life. Mm -hmm. I found myself getting in trouble um, in ninth grade with the law in ninth grade. Mm -hmm. and And so here I am. Uh, finding myself in this position where I have all of this potential, but I don't realize it because I don't have my father to affirm it. Mm -hmm. So here, I, you, you, sometimes there's a place for for a child to to have that particular parent, a mother or father, to come and affirm certain uh, certain qualities about them. And so my father, because he and I, 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 he's passed away now, but we're so very similar. There are things that he could have affirmed and built up because he understood uh, the, the, he understood the journey. And so, because I was kind of out there aimlessly wandering, there were so many mistakes that I made, but as I was making the mistakes, it was like each lesson I was learning was, was kind of propelling me towards where I am today and being the father I am today, being the husband that I am today. So on many levels, he was teaching me by way of, he was teaching me what to do by way of what he was doing. And, and so, but there was, but that, that's kind of like the, the fast forward version, but there was a lot of pain. There was a lot of pain. I remember being nine years old and, and I would, I sat in the chair and I cried and asked my mother, I said, well, where's my father? What, why doesn't he want me? And so she really couldn't do anything about it because here I am nine years old asking this question. And, um, and so even it, it made it awkward because my father had 11 children from four different women. I was the only one of his children who came solo. So I'm, I am my mother's only child. And uh, so he had I have, I have siblings in their 60s and I have uh, a sibling who's still in his 20s. So that, that's how 
you know, how, how his uh, situation <laughs> kind of panned out. But, uh, but by going through that and it's almost like, and then it was a level of fear because I could never confront him directly with what I was really feeling because I was afraid if I did, then it would be like a permanent rejection. So I had to suppress a lot of emotions. And so when you suppress emotions, they either manifest internally or externally. And and for me, it was probably a combination of, of the two, because when you're holding all of that back, you know, then it would turn into these explosive uh, arguments, uh, extreme passive aggressiveness. So here I am, you know, that's, that's how you operate because you're afraid to speak up. So again, it, it affected assertiveness, confidence, uh, the the ability to really articulate what I was feeling, and so I had to I had to seek therapy in order to address a lot of it, and it was embarrassing, you know, because you don't want to. Everybody wants to appear as as though everything is fine. Nobody wants to admit that, you know, the fact that my father wasn't there impacted me in a negative way. Nobody who wants to admit that, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially as a teenager or somebody mm-hmm. in their early twenties. That's when everybody was trying to, yeah, you know, it's all right. I'm not worried about it. He's mm-hmm. doing his thing. I'll be all right. But then once you start seeing how it affects others and when you're when your relationships are failing and, and you're trying to blame everybody else for it. But the reality is you have to look in the mirror and, mm. and knowledge for yourself, what's going on in your role in the situation, everything failing and everybody else is wrong. Mm, I don't know. Uh, uh, as you begin to mature, you have to start looking at it differently or else you continue this pattern. And I wanted the pattern to end. I didn't want my children to repeat the same cycle. I didn't want them to look up and then, okay, their father is absent, but he's, you know, you're going through all of these changes. So today uh, with all four of my children, we have, they, they, I'm very present in their lives (laughs) and uh, probably too too (laughs) present. But (laughs) but, I'm so happy to hear that because I think that's what we have in common. We, we took what we didn't like about our childhood and for me, I prayed for something different. And that's how I got my husband. I literally prayed for someone who had the qualities that I loved about my dad, but had everything else he wasn't. Mm. Got it. Got it. Where he doesn't play about his kids. Like, if if this relationship with South, I know Dr. J is taking me to court. I know he's fighting <laughs> for his kids. And, and rightfully so. He's you serious about that. Okay. No, he 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 not he not playing, right? That's right. And uh, he I not playing. It. They're his, right? Yes. yes. And rightfully so. And we and we tease each other all the time. Although we know we're going to be together for a very long time, um, but that journey of being a father is so important to him, and me being a mother is so important to me that to raise healthy kids. We yes. always said if something goes down, we got to be there for them first. Yes. But you know, once pain and, and sorrow comes up, that's a different story um, for certain individuals. And what I want to go back to is the boy in you. Yes. To get to the man who you are today, what did you need to heal? And what patterns did you have to break? Oh, there were so many, so many areas that needed to heal. I think the biggest part was the rejection because when your father says, I promise I'm going to do better. And the boy believes the father, but then the father does not come through. You begin to lose faith in people. So you're now, you now begin to 
to expect people to disappoint you. So I had to start healing from the expectation of disappointment because when you get into relationships with the expectation of disappointment, you, you can, and I won't say this is the case with everyone, mm -hmm. but I know for me, you can be, I, I did, um, I wanted to be the first one to strike. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be the one to receive the, the, the disappointment. So I would disappoint first to see how far I could push the envelope and then from there, you know, so so I, I would go into relationships with dysfunction already there. So I had to heal from that. I had to begin to change my mindset and my perspective to understand that everybody was not out to hurt me. Mm. Everybody was not out to, and, and it led to extreme ish, trust issues to where I was like, I don't trust anybody. And okay, how are you going to survive if you don't trust anybody? Mm -hmm. If you're waiting for people to, again, somehow betray you or cross you. So that took years, years and years and years to really uh, deal with because of the simple fact that my father through his life and uh, my relationship with him demonstrated where he could not be trusted. And, and it also communicated to me that I was not valuable. Mm -hmm. So when you are feeling that you're not valuable, when you're feeling as though you can't trust people, now you have to address that or, or else it will, uh, that, this is one of the reasons why I've discovered that so many people's relationships fail because of what, whether it's a lack of trust, whether it's a, a you know, unresolved issues or hurt, uh, that's what will contribute to it. So I had, to, I had to do that. And then I had to learn how to reconcile the bitterness because bitterness is one that the bitterness got in and, and it really, it was to the point when he passed away, um, I, the emotions that I felt, I felt sadness, not so much for the fact that he passed away. I felt sadness because I would never get the answers to my questions. And then on the flip side of it, I would, part of me was actually rejoicing that he did pass away because I felt as though he got what he deserved. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so I was like, Oh, and that's, I, I talk about that also. Um, I had some very eloquent words when I found out that he passed away. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Um, and, but then at the same time I was crying, you know, it was, it was, I was torn. I was conflicted because I still, no matter what, I still wanted my father. I still wanted to, I still just wanted to hear him say, Jay, I love you. I believe in you. You're doing well. And there were times in our relationship where he did have positive words, mm -hmm. but he never said, I love you, or, or I don't recall that that would have stuck out to me. That would have, you know, mm -hmm. meant something. Um, and so, and so that took a lot, you know, it caused me to not have uh, trust in black men in particular. So mm -hmm. I, I had a very negative view of black men, older black men, uh, because of what I, I dealt with, with him. So now, now it, in life, I appreciate the value that many older black men bring. You know, I've recognized the challenge of his generation, um, mm -hmm. but, but at the same time, I now appreciate that. So it, but the boy had to, the boy took years, years to, to, to deal. And, and I have to be honest, there are times that if I'm not careful, the little boy will still try to come up and, yeah. and say, Hey, you know, I'm still here. And I, you know, mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't go. Oh, you forgot about that. Did you? You know, like, Oh wow. Where did you come from? Mm -hmm. And, but now I embrace him mm -hmm. because he's still, that little boy is still a part of who I am. Yeah. And I have to recognize that, you know what, you're still there. And, now, how do we, let, let's help that little boy grow up. Or sometimes it's like, you know what? 
the little all of the little boy isn't bad. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I saw a picture. As a matter of fact, this picture. Let me see if I can. I have a picture right here. Mm-hmm. And, and I, somebody, I found it. I just happened. This is the little boy. Aww. That's him. And so when when and when I I saw this picture, it's like that's the smile had an innocence to it. Now I didn't at that point I didn't know I was a fatherless child. You know I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was the little kid. I was like, hey, I'm happy. I'm you know. And and so I look at that, and then I could see as I got older how that smile left, and there was an innocence there. And and so there's nothing wrong with the little boy. And it's nothing wrong. Now, I can't go around acting like the little boy, but I mm-hmm. can appreciate those emotions that he had and, and how he, so so what I did, you know, that little boy can still play with my sons, even though my sons are like like almost grown. Well, two of mm-hmm. them are grown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but as they're older, it's like I can still be that, I can connect to that little kid. So, mm-hmm. so it again, it took years uh, to heal. And I guess if something new comes up, then I'll have to heal from that. But I knew I needed to reconcile what happened and this is how I reconciled it and it was really on a spiritual level um and for a lot of people it didn't it kind of surprised them when when I said this but the reality is is as I reflect on the journey this is the story that God gave me you know this is but this is and, and I had to look at it like this because if I didn't again it could lead to the to the the pity party but but God knew who who I was going to be born to and he knew how the journey and the story was going to play out. And he saw fit for me to be in this situation. As I look at my children today, and again, this is now years later, but as I look at my children today, would I go back and change my story so that it would be more palatable for me? I, I wouldn't because that created me, the, my journey created who I am today to become the father who I am. Now, maybe I would have been a better father. I don't know, Mm -hmm. but I wouldn't go back and change it because when I say that, meaning obviously the child would go back and change it, you know, Mm -hmm. a healthy father and and all those different things. But the reality is, and this is how I have to process it from a reality standpoint, I can't go back and change it. Mm -hmm. And as I learn more about my father, I now see where his absence was protection. Ooh. Say that one again and break that down. I'm a, I will break it down. As I've learned more about my father and his history, his personality, his habits, his ways, I now see his absence as protection because I see the results of those who were in his presence and who had the 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 brunt of his um discipline and and whatever else came along with that. And I see the result of that. His absence, although I longed for his presence, had his presence been there, I know just from, just from understanding um, his, his, his ways that it would have been a very toxic environment for me. And because we are so similar, I would have, I'm certain I would have recreated his patterns because it would have been, it would have been just been natural for me to go down that road. And so now that I'm, now that I'm older and I understand it, there's no way I can be bitter about it because I see what, again, I see the results of those who were in his presence. And so what would have been different for me? What the, the, um, the uh, psychological abuses, even though I dealt with some of that, 
I didn't deal with the direct impact of it, mm-hmm. but, but some of my siblings did. Mm-hmm. So today they're in their, uh, they're o- over 40 and they're dealing with the challenges of that. And so they, they, they aren't even able to reconcile a lot of it because they can't say, well, my father wasn't there and I was protected, you know, because they, they weren't, you know, so they're having to deal with it in a different way. And so now, so as I'm, I'm actually walking some of my siblings through it to help them understand that there's nothing wrong with you. Our, our father had an issue. And because of that, we all dealt with it on a different level. But again, this is why I don't, this is what the, the man had to process. The nine-year-old boy couldn't process the mm-hmm. fact that, that my father, I'm being protected from a very negative influence. That mm-hmm. nine-year-old boy did not get it. It was He was thinking to himself, there's something wrong with me. Where's my dad? How come he doesn't love me? But as you, as I've gotten older, I see it uh, a completely different way. And, and that's what has enabled me to, to move forward without the bitterness because, again, I don't know his story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I know that he, he would be, if he were still alive, he would be 88 this year. Mm-hmm. That was a different era. That was a different generation. That was a different culture. He grew up in the South. I can only imagine what it was like for a black man in the South in the early uh, 1900s, early to mid 1900s, because he was born in 1932, mm-hmm. to be, to grow up with many of the disadvantages that he had. And so I don't know what their survival uh, mechanisms were. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't understand it. So, and, and, but I know how I was living um, early in my life and I understood I, I could have had 11 children. I could, it could have mm-hmm. gone that way. It mm-hmm. could have been, I could have been down that road easily. Mm-hmm. And, and so, it, you know, by God's grace, that didn't happen, mm-hmm. but it's one of these things where you begin to process it differently and it, or, or from a different perspective. And when you do it, um, it helps you in the journey, you know, it, and that's just for me and other, other people who've gone through mm-hmm. situations where perhaps the parent was in the home and very abusive, very toxic, they're having to look at it um, through a different lens. And this is why I encourage people to talk to professionals to get help to navigate this space, you know, because yeah. it hurts. This stuff hurts. It's real. Yeah. And it's okay to say I hurt. Yes. It's okay to say I hurt, but what I'm learning and just speaking to clients and speaking to people that saying I hurt is very uncomfortable because they've never been taught to say I hurt. We are taught as children, what you crying for? You want me to give you something to cry about? So Mm. we are taught to mute our emotions. So for me growing up in a home where we can talk about emotions, that was rare. Very, very rare. And so that's why me saying that hurts me, I'm sad, it doesn't feel good. Those things are not common language for my friends and my relatives. Yes, especially in our community. Yes, especially in our community, especially. Yeah, and you know, one of the things I talk about uh, in the book also, I have a, a, a paragraph or a section called Train to Cover Up Foolishness. Mm. And we have been trained on so many levels to cover up the dysfunctions and to keep quiet. And we're not supposed to have emotions. And I think it's cultural. 
meaning even in our families, but I think even in our culture, if we start talking about how we really feel, the people want to pounce on it. They want to, you know, somehow shut you down. They want to silence you and you're just supposed to keep it to yourself. And I see that so often in so many circles that if you say what you really feel, you might as well get ready to get kicked out. You might as well get ready to be, you know, blackballed on some level. Mm-hmm. So imagine if you're walking around with all of this trauma, you're dealing with trauma in your family. This is this is how many people live. They're dealing with the trauma in their family they can't talk about. They're dealing with the trauma in their professional life they can't talk about. They're dealing with the trauma in their culture. Uh, sometimes it may even be in their religious circles where they can't talk about what they're dealing with. And so they're just walking around like ticking time bombs or or they're holding this stuff in. And so it's eating away at them physically mm-hmm. or, or eroding them spiritually or, or emotionally to the point where the, the real person has been buried beneath all of this stuff that they've held in. And, um, and then, then they reproduce, then they have children. Mm-hmm. And, and so because of that, then now they, the children, uh, if they're not really aware of it and don't get the help that they need, then they pass it on to the children. Mm-hmm. And the children are like, well, why, what did I do? You know, and they're like, well, I was just born, you know what? And, and, and so by us having these types of conversations, mm-hmm. my hope, is that it would begin to be the catalyst for families to start talking about the pain, the real pain. And sometimes it's it's ugly. Sometimes it's going to bring up some things that people don't want to talk about. But mm-hmm. if you really want to heal, if you want to, I always talk about, if you want to get to an infection, to the root of an infection, sometimes you have to peel back the scab. Mm-hmm. You have to go down into the wound and that's painful. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you don't have anesthetic. <laughs> to, yep. Sometimes you have to go with no anesthetic. But when it's all said and done, you get everything out of there. Now that wound can heal. The scar might still be there, but the wound is healed and or it's healing. And, and that now we're moving towards health, you know, whether it's emotional, physical or spiritual health. We're now moving in that direction. You know, this is so good. One of the things that I teach in my grief anchors is the very first one in healing is truth. Mm. Every podcast is opened up with that. What is your truth? It is truth and truth represents freedom. The second thing that I teach in my grief anchors, we talk about after we talk about truth, then we go to, um, I just, I'm just having a blank. I can't believe it's my anchors. No, it's fine. No, no. But, but as you talk about the truth, you know, it's, it's so real. Truth is so real. Truth is so freeing. Right. And then you anchor down the second anchor. Now that it's coming back to me, the second anchor is heartbreak. Mm. Examining that heartbreak. I'm talking about having a surgery on that heartbreak. Yes. And then finding the right, com- the third anchor is that connection and represents community because you can't heal in everyone's community. That's right. You have to find that community tribe to help you heal. And mm. sometimes it looks like a therapist and sometimes it looks like a family member and sometimes it looks like a friend. One of my thing is, is creating safe places so that broken hearts can be seen, heard and validated, period. The fourth anchor is saying I'm anchoring down in faith because it's really going to take that faith to help me process that. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. And then you get to a place and the fifth anchor is restoration. Mm. And restoration is saying what you have, Jay, is that peace. Although as a boy, you were hurting 
And as a man, that boy grew with you. But you decided that I'm going to fight for that restoration by dealing with the ugly truth of my story and making, and as I turn the page and with every page that is turned, I am going to make it better. And for me, in listening to your story, you've turned the page by working on your truth. And every time you turn the page with every child you had, you made it better. Yes, I, I uh, as you have broken that down, I've never quite thought about it like that, but you articulated it perfectly. And it's, um, my hope is that anyone who's watching or listening, that they would understand that, because sometimes there's a lot of shame attached to our past. Mm-hmm. And we will, that shame will cause us to become hesitant. It will cause us to become doubtful, apprehensive, on so many levels, but I knew that, and this is, it it doesn't happen overnight. You know, with every layer that was being peeled back, I understood that I had a responsibility to set a different example for those who were like me, you know, because again, that's why I have no problem talking about the pain, talking about the real raw emotions of what happened and what I had to do in order to heal. And all of the steps that you laid out are, at perfect, you laid them out perfectly because I had to go through each one of those steps in order to get to this place. And I know that there's another level to even go to Mm -hmm. even beyond here, but I'm so thankful to be at this place because it wasn't always like this. You know, when you feel like you're spinning out of control and you don't understand why you're doing certain things or why you're thinking or feeling a certain way, uh, as you, as you continue to move forward and you seek the help, then you start, you're, you're able to start processing it in a much better way. And so I'm thankful for that and, and most appreciative for the journey and, and being able to encourage other people to do the same. Mm-hmm. And you represent what anchoring and truth really, really represents in the freedom that comes with it. Now, before we come to a close of the interview, one of the things that I like to do is ask my pearls of wisdom questions. And there are three questions. And the very first one is, in redefining the grief in your life, what have you learned about yourself? I've learned that there's nothing wrong with me. Mm. And I think that that's the part that I struggle with the most because even growing up, because I was, I was into some very uh, unhealthy behaviors. Mm-hmm. And so the, the statements become, what's wrong with you? There's something wrong with you. You have a problem. There, mm-hmm. There's something off. Mm-hmm. And I was grieving. And I didn't know how to grieve. Mm-hmm. And so I, so my identity is like, there's nothing wrong with me. And so I think that that would have to be uh, the answer to that question. Good, good. The second thing is we all have a day where our master would call us home. And if today was your day and you had five words or less to say, what would it be? Who would I be saying it to? You will decide. Oh, I would decide. Oh, wow. That's, that's pretty good. Um, uh, five words, I guess. Or I'll break. Five words or less. Five words or less. All right. I'm going to split this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ah. <laughs> so I would say to my family, I love you. And I would say to my master, thank you. Mm, chills. I got chills. That's so good. 
And now this is the final question. During my dark times, one of the things I love to do is sing. I swear I sound like Whitney Houston in my, <laughs> in my head. I've been told, but you can't tell me otherwise. Um, <laughs> during your dark time, what songs get you through? Awesome. Fred Hammond, um, Give Me a Clean Heart. That's uh that's one of my my favorites, and uh, Kirk Franklin. Ironically, um, there there were several Kirk Franklins, but uh, the song called Conquerors. It's an old Kirk Franklin song from back off the uh, I think the CD was Melodies from Heaven. The CD back in '95. Wow. Talked about uh, a gentleman by the name uh, Tamala Man and Dalen. Dalen, I think his name Dalen Collins. I think that's it. And they were the leads on that. And the song called Conquerors, if, if I take it back. So it'd be those two. Clean Heart, Fred Hammond, Conquerors, Kirk Franklin. Woo! I'm going back to listening listen to them all. Um, it's old school. It's old school. I know it is old school, but I used to jam to them. Okay. So okay. I know, I mean, put the cassette in the thing and press play yeah, and replay. Yeah, so, yeah. and then when we had the CD players, I would press replay on that. And I just haven't heard it in so long that I want to go back and listen to the words now. Not the child in me listening to it, but actually the adult in me. And I know those words are going to resonate so differently. Um, so thank you for sharing that. I thank you for sharing your story. I thank you for spending your time with me. Because today you reminded me of Moses. Mm. And let me tell you how. Moses' mother, to protect him, she had to put him in a basket and send him down a river. And to protect you from your father, mm. God had to separate you so that you can do what you're doing now. And so to me, when I see your name, I'll always see Moses. Wow. That is powerful. That, that is powerful. And I'll always remember that. And I'll always remember your description, your analogy. Thank you. Thank you for being on the Redefining Grief podcast with Herdeen Mercier. Thank you very much. 